Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. My guest today is Bunny, aka Conejo Capital, CEO of Dora. Dora is a user-friendly block explorer and blockchain search engine. On this episode, Bunny and I discuss multi-chain block explorers, unified blockchain interaction interfaces, and the challenges of blockchain indexing. We discussed Dora's search product and its data product and its adventures beyond the EVM. It was fun getting to know Bunny and learn about Dora's journey making blockchain transaction auditing easier for consumers. I hope you enjoy the show. As always, this show is provided as entertainment and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto has risks and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. Hello. Hey, Bunny. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good to meet you. <laughs> yeah, great to meet you too. You're in New York, right? Yes, I am in New York. How about you, actually? If you in, don't, yeah, I, of course. I'm in Montreal. I'm in uh, Canada. Oh, cool. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay, awesome. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, I guess. Not the really. Thanksgiving for Canadian <laughs> on your end. Yeah, like it's been like two, three weeks. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's about right. I forget exactly when it is. A month ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something, something of the sort. I, I also didn't keep track much of them. Like I spent, I spent like seven years in, in Vancouver, but I never really got around the difference between like Canadian and American Thanksgiving. Yeah, I see here it's October 14th, I think it was. Or no, that's next year. Maybe it's the same. It's not as big a deal here. Yeah, yeah, no, it, um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it is as much. Yeah, it's, I feel like um, I remember a lot of my, I don't know. I went. I went to a primarily international like university. Uh, university. I feel like half the population there were like, okay, like yeah, it's another party. Okay, let's celebrate. And then the <laughs> other one was like, no, I need to go home. Like I need to see my family, and I I cannot fathom not seeing my family in this holiday. Yeah, it's big. It's a it's important value. It's uh it's kind of uh, heartwarming to see it at least <laughs> at least from uh, my comfy position on the internet uh, for this this yeah. Thanksgiving at least. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. It's very sweet. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very sweet. So, um, so we're going to talk all about Dora today. I'm excited. Um, mm -hmm. I yeah, guess me too. The first question I have is, what's missing in blockchain explorers that mm. Dora is there to solve? I say that's actually the best possible question to begin. The core premise as to okay, what first of all, like what is Dora and to, as you said, what is missing from, from block explorers that Dora can actually, is actually bringing to the table. And one of the quintessential things is honestly that, um, that feeling that I guess for real context, like Dora started almost two years ago at this point, one of the main realizations, like one of the Genesis ideas behind, okay, we need to build something that is not necessarily a block explorer only, but also serves as a, even beyond that, just as a tool to surface inform on-chain information, also serves as a search engine that can then lead people to start acting the, on every single on-chain ecosystem that this search engine has been able to integrate. And not only in a, with a focus of, okay, like it's not necessarily hard to surface on-chain data, like it, it is, uh, especially over the past two years, uh, that this has become a lot more simple, a lot more straightforward, despite the fact that now we have Rollups, and we have a couple of dominant, dominant SDKs. A few of the SDKs are still reaching maturity. It's still a bit. It's still a bit hard, actually. It's not necessarily trivial, right? And so there's that. There's one 
um, that technology to surface it, block explorers in a world in which we see a insane diversity of rollups, all with different SDKs, all with different sequencers, all with different, how to say it, a, a few more experimental ones that may divert a little bit more from get. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure also, especially quite a few of your listeners, whoever has any chance to interact with a node knows that not all rollups are built the same. Um, and that becomes increasingly more complex if you want to have something akin to a generalizable block explorer or even indexer as well, right? Even mm -hmm. something as low level as that. So one, what is our solve? Generalizing a bit, just just a little bit of the, not even the indexing infrastructure because we work with quite a few index, index data partners as well. And we have some of our index data infrastructure in-house as well. But at the very least, the contextualizing layer of every single on-chain data that gets produced, one, uh, two, we don't necessarily think of a block explorer as a tool that is just used for developers or for power users. We think of block explorers as a tool that should be, that are the quintessential, it, it might sound like a buzzword, honestly, but I very much do believe that block explorers are one of the first human layers that people have whenever they interact with a block, with a chain. And I like to have the thought experiment that there's no, how to say it, that Ethereum could have stopped producing information years ago, but every single block explorer out there just make sure to keep on faking producing information <laughs> and no one will notice, right? Like very few people would actually are actually interacting with the node on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when it comes to the consumer side of things. Um, like if you ask uh, the average um, bull market user if they've ever spun up a node and even then, like have they ever even tapped into a node directly, they, uh, I don't think most people will say yes. Yeah, even, even most app devs, no. Yeah, no, exactly. It's not that, it's not a, it's not necessarily the simplest thing to do sometimes. Uh, sometimes it is. Uh, there's, I think people will be surprised of how many ecosystems out there actually make it slightly hard to have a persistent node instance. It's a little bit funny. So then two is actually, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, what, what is it about them that makes, uh, that makes it difficult just to keep a node alive? Honestly, because I also myself don't interact too much with them. I'm not incredibly familiar with them. One of those things, though, is that some ecosystems out there, especially they want to get a little bit more complex with, oh, we're not only EV, we're EVM compatible plus something else, they may leverage some aux auxiliary services that are traditionally maintained by the foundation of these other chains uh, VM. However, these other, other chains may not be as willing to maintain some of the support for VMs that don't necessarily directly benefit them. So if there's additional dependencies, if they're not EVM equivalent, there's additional dependencies that maybe are not as reliable. Yes, exactly. It's just that uh, they haven't been able to capture as much of the developer mindshare to allow for a reasonable redistribution of resources amongst every single one of the dependencies, which is on, honestly speaks really big to the fact that you know, open source is really needed <laughs> in in crypto or even in tech in general to keep everything alive the way that we're used to, right? Totally. I'm curious. I wanted to dive into one thing you said there. So do you think that then um, accessing information in something like a block explorer or even if it's a search-oriented block explorer or some other simpler UX or different UX, nevertheless, you think that consumers, if crypto really is to be successful, consumers should be looking at kind of a neutral data provider, not just interacting with apps or interacting via centralized exchanges. They should be, you, you expect the consumers will have direct exposure to block data via some kind of clean interface. Yes, so yes, and there's actually a, a few things there, especially that you said, uh, um, 
if I'm wrong, but you should you say also like a non, like a not a centralized user, but like a clean interface user to an extent, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from the standpoint, okay. So that thought experiment of like, hey, like block explorers could have just like all cartelized and fake producing Ethereum data, right? There is a future in which crypto becomes a, in the same way that we had a very wallet-centric future for the longest time in crypto, which I, I, I was quite, quite frankly, a little bit shocked by just coming into the industry. Um, now, n- a little bit more, more than a couple of years back now, I do think that there's a future in which users become familiar not with the way block explorers are built today, um, because I do admit those are quite developer-focused and so on and so forth, but the way in which a very simple unified interface that has not completely extrapolated away what it means to leverage on-chain technology, but it still gives you a few hints as to, hey, you may be interacting, you are either interacting within an interface that leverages all chains out there and is surfacing every single uh, information that is getting produced across every single ecosystem or across every single ecosystem that your specific wallet or account that manages several wallets across different SDKs is on. Um, or you can you can either choose that path of, okay, just complete um, extrapolation of any semblance of on, on-chain uh, activity and just having a unified cross-chain account activity. Or the, oh, you are a power user, you know what the differences are between this SDK, this other SDK. Um, you know what are the you can choose whichever routing mechanism you want. You can choose whatever uh, yield provider you want, recycling provider and whatnot. I think those are the two very different features that we have for crypto. And when we think about, okay, what are what makes one of those features different than the other? I think one of the tools that sits a little bit in, that can serve a bit of both is just the interface one of the main interfaces that we're familiar with, honestly, is just a search engine. Um, and I say a search engine specifically, particularly from the standpoint that due to, um, we, we can talk a, a little bit more about this later, but just to keep it a little bit short, in aggregation theory, you effectively are advocating for, hey, it's not necessarily the best um, the best type of tooling that lends itself to actually reaching the end consumer and also creating a quote-unquote marketplace for every single provider out there will be an aggregator that can be generalizable enough to then encompass every single other tool for aggregation out there. One of those things, one of those primary toolings that we're very used to interacting on a directly basis is a big search and en- some big search engines out there like Google, Baidu, and so on. Um, these are then lend themselves to actually go into more ecosystem or sub niche uh, specific aggregators in the exact same way that we could think of like, okay, there's every every single chain out there is like, it's especially if you look at the app chain thesis, right? You can think of every single one of those chains as this sub niche or industry specific aggregator. And then you can have a generalizable search engine that sits on top of that as a way, as a gateway to every single one of these. So basically, uh, services that just so happen. Oh, go ahead. So, so one of the problems uh, then we might say with blockchain explorers today is that they're very chain specific. But given that you're starting, yes. or I mean, you've started already, but you're in the era of uh, multi-chain present, uh, it means that you can start with a multi-chain interface that aggregates all that data and creates a kind of simpler interface for people, such as search on top of an aggregate view of multi-chain uh, activity rather than chain-specific 
uh, where you're already kind of in the details. If you know that you're on polygon scan, then you're already kind of in the technical details. It's not a simple UI like search over multi-chain data. Exactly. Um, it's not a simple UI that search. It's not a simple UI as um, being able to tell you. Technically, there's no particular reason why if we have every single bit of data that is open source decentralized and we're not um, just publicly accessible, why is it that we should have it in such a way that no single tool, that every single tool is unaware of things beyond their ecosystem? Um, there are some very practical reasons to why one of them is just because it's very expensive. Like I think that's one of the, like one of the implicit or silent truths, I guess, in crypto, in the crypto ecosystem that every single piece of infrastructure piece is just quite expensive, especially if we have to do anything with storing large on-chain data, large volumes of on-chain data, and especially if the chain is successful, right? But yeah. Um, especially for these chain, like POS, L2 type chains that are just gen- generating tons of data that you have to index and essentially subsidize the indexing yes. and, and serving of it. Yeah, for quite a few, quite a bit of it, I, I think it does get it, get into the crux of it. It's essentially a database uh, cost optimization problem, which is really funny um, because uh, <laughs> I think it's a little bit cir- uh, circular that, oh, okay, we have this really good database, this really good virtual machine that everyone can interact with every every single person can start deploying applications that do not necessitate the involvement of a person or any form of individual to actually maintain it, right? Uh, like the concept of like having a crypto crypto company application and having it run itself to an extent other than maintaining the, the front end for it and of course marketing and such. Uh, it's very enticing, right? It's very it's very awesome that this technology does exist. Um, but then it poses this sort of question, okay, this insane database, insane new virtual machine, um, what is the one thing that you do have to care about is that, oh, okay, if you're trying to surface this, the data that your application produces back to the chain in a clean enough manner, maybe you want to maintain a little bit of that data on you. And if, that, and if your application is widely successful, well, you better start looking as to how to optimize that data storage. Got it. So yeah, you mentioned that there are some changes to the infrastructure technology over the last two years that have made it more feasible to index yes. a bunch of different chains. What, what's changed over the last two years? What's new? What's better? So I think a few very key points. It's, um, so there's, there's two main things. One of them, and I think we can separate it by saying that there is a search and action-based search engine. So for our specific use cases on the search portion of things, one of the very implicit things there is indexing. Um, there's been quite a few companies that have come around um, over the past two years that have made a product like Dora go from us at the very beginning spending almost four, six months working on a substrate EVM and Cosmos uh, generalizable indexer. Um, this was an insane feed from our from our CTO, Stella, from every single, we, we divide the team on on-chain backend and then uh, like off-chain backend, per se. Uh, it's just like API services and such. Um, so creating the generalizable indexer, incredibly hard. Something that we really, um, we spent too much time doing. Um, and as I also hinted at a bit earlier, there's a few chains out there that have not necessarily made this, the effort of indexing them the easiest by not maintaining their own auxiliary services. Um, one, those ser- 
now we finally seen a bit of a congregation into, okay, these are now the major SDKs. We've now seen a lot of the action cases play out incredibly hard, specifically within EVM land. So from our standpoint, we were already overextended trying to integrate a, a bunch of non-EVM chains. And then as soon as we started talking with a couple EVM chains, it became a matter of not a, oh, I wonder if someone will pay for a little bit of the chain subsidy. But it became a matter of like, oh my God, we actually don't have enough people to serve these EVM chains, right? Even even though the infrastructure is quite good at this point, like we can integrate chains in a matter of, like we have a 24-hour guarantee for every single EVM out there, uh, given that it's at least close to get. And for the chains that are very close to get, we just integrate in a couple of hours. But even then, there's still a few a few bugs and such that pop up every now and then. So, but it's still, it's, um, some of the, the fact that they're seeing a lot of a coordination, an implicit coordination on, okay, we are going to support this SDK. We are going to support these indexing practices. We are going to say, Craig, there's now companies like Goldsky and Sibohash, some of our closest index data partners, as well as, um, let's say for specifically in the case of Celestia, um, and some Cosmos Index Data Partners, there's Numia and Modera Cloud as well. Um, we also work quite closely with them. So they make it such that Dora can finally come to become not only an index data company, because we, of course, still need to have some of our own index data, indexing solutions in-house uh, for a specific use case, but we can become more so a contextualizing layer and very much focused on the on creating infrastructure to give meaning back to on-chain data. Like surfacing unopinionated on-chain data is not really useful for the consumer as much as it is useful for a developer trying to give meaning back to that information, right? Uh, so there's that one. And then on the action portion of the search engine, uh, we have, well, we have now, um, very unpre unprecedented, but we have AI agents, we have intents, we have a bunch of, uh, we have um, MPC wallets, we have uh, stuff like Privy. It's, it's it's awesome, honestly. I, I think the I, I especially saw one of your your episodes on the new uh, Web three Web three front end stack. Um, I mean, there's clearly been a silent revolution in it. And I say silent, no, I I think people have been very vocal about it, but I don't think people have been as vocal about the all of the offerings in tandem that have really changed the way someone does front end, even from like one year ago in yeah, crypto. Definitely. Yeah. But just before we get to the actions part, which I'm super interested in, you mentioned that the infrastructure has gotten easier. So is, is a big part of that the kind of shelling point of EVM equivalence that has simplified chain integration? Or you're saying there's also this sort of maybe maturity of the data provider partners across different mm -hmm. uh, ecosystems also? Yes. So there's, it's a, it's a twofold thing. One of them is that, yes, there's been, a, uh, there's been finally a some form of congregation in, okay, these are the SDKs that we're working with and every single, uh, there, there's even like implicit, uh, th these never properly got approved, but there's like EIPs for block explorers as well. So now we finally have, okay, these are the things. Yeah, yeah, no, they're very much, it's, it's, um, it's a little bit funny though, because I, I want to learn a little bit more about the history behind this, but um, the block is block is for APIs were supposed to get standardized to whatever Etherscan's using now, which is a little bit silly because I actually want to know a little bit about the history of whose idea was it. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it was necessarily a 
open source push for standardizing it back to a tool that wasn't open source. I think it was. I I, pro, I feel like Igor, like the one of the founders for Blockska, will know as well. Um, but yeah, yeah that'd, be, the, that'd be interesting um, to have him on to to ask about that. Is, is Dora planning to be open source in the front end? We want to open source a few things, specific, actually in the, on the back end, um, because there's a let's say our semantic tiger, like being able to say, oh, this wasn't actually just a a swap. This was actually an NFT sale, or oh, this wasn't just a cent of a transfer of tokens. This was specifically a repayment for this loan that someone took on this application. We want to. We we are working with Blockscout on a few on a few things actually. The one that I can definitely speak about right now is um, on actually open sourcing the um, the labeler for every single EVM address out there. As of now, as of now, uh, if you register a let's say a attack for a wallet on Dora, it gets recorded on Dora, but it doesn't necessarily go get posted anywhere. If you register a tag on Blockscout, okay, you register it just for that explorer, but you don't necessarily have that tag get populated across every single block scout instance out there. We're creating this unified this unified database and then block explorers, uh, data analytics tools and so on and so forth are able to reference every single tag that gets added either to the oral block scout and then immediately gets populated across whichever tools are leveraging it. Is there a system for checking the quality or do you just only trust uh, annotations from certain sources? Like if it comes from block, block scout or Dora, maybe I trust it, but not some other party that's submitting tags? I think that one will be interesting. I think there is a um, there's a big if when it comes to filtering, right? Like um, as I said, like there's no real there's no real strong use case on surfacing just completely opinionated on chain data. I don't think also there's a use case on completely very aggressively filtering out uh, taggings from every single from every single person submission, right? Um, but Definitely, there is a, a world in which we have every single label be, oh, this label was submitted by this person and everyone can see who submitted it. And then you can potentially create a reputation system on, on which, okay, if this person has some, this person has submitted a bunch of these tags into Dora, oh, let's give this person a few points because this person has actually been very truthful about it. And if someone is actively trying to see what tag it and just tagging, well, it's one, two, three, four, um, then you know, it can be somewhat penalized or just not recognized as a valuable contribution. Do you imagine that being a shared reputation system across everybody who's contributing to this uh, Block Scout open source uh, collaboration or each uh, Block Explorer would have its own reputation system and then somehow aggregate their decisions and submit them to a collective pool? I honestly think it might be a second, uh, a second portion of it because you want to, like, as soon as you start talking, as soon as we start talking about points giving back to the community and so on and so forth, that that's become a, a segue into, hey, we're rewarding you with something. And you very much want to own the user experience of rewarding your users. You don't necessarily want to tell them, hey, you're getting rewarded by someone else's work. And then have that be a segue for them to go check out another project. Mm. Might, might also be a good way to get users in general to, to have a exactly. point system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, it's very much that. But these are... We'll be most likely announcing just the the open source infrastructure for the tagging system, and then tell people, "Hey, we'll be we'll be taking a look at who is actually submitting stuff, right, and who is properly engaging with uh, the submissions form label instead of just um, you know just still attacking it." 
or also sending uh, job applications, which we've also had. It, it's really, uh, th there is one application that I actually found, thought it was very sweet. It was just someone, not some, some media form for a random address and saying, oh, this is, um, like, I just wanted to say, I love your work. Thank you guys. And I'll say, oh, okay, that's nice. That, that is wholesome. Um, it's not a wallet tag, but it's very wholesome. So they're submitting that as, a, as an annotation. They submitted that as an annotation to a random wallet address out there. And, and yeah. we're, we're, you're talking about annotation, but there's also like, I think of uh, the interface.social app where they're doing um, function signature labeling so that you can see nicely in the UI, you know, things beyond ERC20 and 721, et cetera, swaps, but more unique idiosyncratic function calls that they be labeled correctly. Mm -hmm. I guess you also want to do annotation of that, I, I assume. So one of them is the, one of them is the wallet wallet tagging and then the other one I like to call the semantic labeler or I guess internally we call it the semantic labeler um, the semantic labeler is another thing that I think is I think it's fascinating honestly because it's one of those things that I feel quite a few products have built out there internally but there wasn't really a need for for that I was quite frankly surprised that there was no one single uh, actually no um, let me let me take a step back on that one. There is a open. There are some open source uh, semantic taggers in the exact same way that there's a couple open source AI interpreters of on chain transactions. However, they're not necessarily the best, or the way that they've been built so far does imply ingesting a certain number of on chain data and maintaining it on your own infrastructures such that it's incredibly expensive to run it and there is no quintessential value honestly on providing a very on just providing a simple interface for looking at a for understanding a transaction it's very nice it's very much something that can get you users however there's no econ intrinsic economic value that is derived from that apart from um th there's a few cases in which it is in which um let's say if you are able to properly semantically tag every single uh, DeFi interaction out there as a loan repayment and such. If your indexer and your uh, semantic labeler is fast enough, then you should be able to sell these as you know, business analytic type data. Um, but there's a few companies out there that already do that. So from the standpoint, it's something that you want to, so you want the, the part ideally that you want to open source from that is allowing people to actually semantically tag everything, to actually submit, hey, this function is specifically this uh, type of call, like, um, what well, we, we we were working with a or we still are actually, uh, but we're work, we're working with a few um, let's say NFT options data providers out there, um, and what we do with them is that we actually semantically tag every single one of their option contracts as oh this is a, actually an option creation and this is an option sale let's say, right? So being able but still that on that took us. A few hours, honestly, it was very straightforward. However, I do think that this is very much the type of tool that you want to open source in the long run. Um, I think that anyone should be able to go on, just go on whatever explorer they want um, and just say, oh, my transaction uh, doesn't look quite okay. It doesn't seem to represent what I actually want it to be. Um, here, a semantic label is specifically for this thing. Mm -hmm. There should be no edge in semantic labeling for the long tail of transactions, maybe at the speed of processing it, but every, everyone should just be able to read the transactions and humor readably uh, without, uh, you know, that, that, that ultimately you're saying that shouldn't be a competitive differentiation. 
Yeah, I don't think tagging or semantic labeling should be a competitive differentiator for now. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, even on the long run. Admittedly, you know, like we, we're not open source just yet. Uh, and the, the main reason, honestly, is just because it is a hard task uh, to pull off what we're doing right now. And we don't want to accidentally put a tool out there that wrongly tags something. And then instead of that being a bug report from someone's, someone just DMing me, it's, uh, oh my God, this messed up someone else's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Like I, I very much do not want to get to that. There is a, we've, we've thought of quite a bit about, uh, okay, you're contextualizing on-chain data, you're becoming this focal point in which every single, especially people that are not necessarily the heaviest power users of on-chain data can go to and trust the explorer. We, we, you don't want, you very much want to be a reliable piece of infrastructure. You don't want to be, you don't want to have too many bugs, right? Like it's not something that, uh, even though immediately like every single block explorer out there has quite a few bugs, some of them are a little bit more quiet and nuanced as to specifically what those are. You, you mentioned that uh, it's both about search and action uh, for this yes. search engine. So wh- what do you mean by action? So what I mean by action is if you've had the, it's something that we haven't publicized too much. We've publicized the minting aspect of it. But if you go on Dora right now, uh, on Dora.xyz, and you search up mint, um, we create this generative UI of every single, so right now we contextualize every single Sora-created ERC721, and you're able to just mint it within the search application. Oh yeah, I um, see that this. If, yeah, that is if you go in there, you search up Mint, you, um, if you did that during uh, Consensus 2023, um, you were able to do that. Uh, quite a few been, people minted it. And that was also, I think, I believe it's also my pinned post on Twitter right now. So that was one of the, those things that one of the very, one of the very beautiful things about on-chain applications is that pe- anyone can own the front-end experience for it. And every single bit of, um, I guess, backend contextualizing tool is not something that, um, how to say, it's not something that is a proper thing from the application, right? Like it's like, and if let's say a large corporation releases a, a smart contract, anyone can go and create a better experience for it, even if the company chooses to eventually deprecate that good and service. Mm-hmm. You're saying you can you can make uh, these kind of generative. Uh interfaces mm-hmm. for contracts without needing to cooperate directly. You can permissionlessly create like a mint interface within the thing. If people want to check that out, it's exactly. uh, on Dora.xyz and you can search mint and the action mm-hmm. will come up for the Dora Consensus 2023 NFT. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And what I imagine the future to be like is there's saying so in the specifically action portion of it, right? I very much believe that we will reach a point in which every single smart contract there will be so kind of procedural to an extent. Uh, it's such a way that we have really good practice um, development practices for Web2, such that a unified contextualizing interface can provide a generative UI for the specific, how to say, for the smart contract that someone just so happens to be searching on Dora. If you search up uh, Rhino Mint, of course, you are able to mint the Dora NFT, but if you search up any other NFT within Dora, hopefully not too uh, far away from now, you should be able to also start minting with natively within the search app application. Uh, one other one that we actually haven't promoted that much, if you search up swap on Dora, you're already able to swap on Dora. It's just a slightly buggy widget uh, for reasons beyond ours uh, that it's just isn't working as well as we hope for. But eventually you also want to start being able to perform a very basic suite of actions on chain. 
And the very basic pseudo-factions on chain, we believe that is something that will be pulled off by a platter of um, index data partners as well as, how to say it, as well as just aggregators uh, when it comes to transfers across chains, when it comes to uh, swaps, ac swaps across chain, especially any 20 type actions, uh, minting cross chain as well, being able to have awareness of the state across every single ecosystem. If someone doesn't have a token on ecosystem A, where I mean, if someone has a token in ecosystem A and minting is happening in ecosystem B, immediately be able to have a sort of, how say, have a solver that is able to just, or a router that is able to say, hey, this person has funds here, just let the person engage with whatever action they want, regardless of the chain they're, they're on, we'll look up their token, tokens, uh, we'll subsidize the fee for this for this time, and yeah, just let people act on chain instead of having, I, I think there is very much is still a sort of on-ramp, off-ramp problem as soon as people start going cross-chain. And right now we've come very close to solving the on-ramping into the chain ecosystem, and now we need to solve a little bit more of the um, cross-chain on-ramping ecosystem, if anything. Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me a little bit of what you're saying, uh, especially with the cross-chain focus and having a unified block explorer search engine experience of uh, the way like Etherscan has recently integrated hop protocol transactions in. So you can see mm -hmm. when you make a cross-chain swap, it, it will be illustrated yes. inside of Etherscan. But obviously it's a little bit incomplete because you have to jump to a completely different website to see the kind of consequence of that. But at least they are now showing it. Is that something that you foresee mm -hmm. doing these kind of surfacing cross-chain swaps as well as just the aggregate of the in, you know separate chain interactions? So that was actually one of the very first experiments that we ran on Dora. And I think back then, almost two years ago, the very quintessential need for, so I guess the, a, a bit of a difference there is that in order to integrate different types of bridges, you have to either integrate uh, chain, I guess, chain departure and chain destination, as well as the bridge itself. If it's, if it's a form of sort of validator bridge, then of course you need to also index that bridge itself. If you have, if you want to start, um, if you want to start doing that, then right now as current economies of Explorer stand, then you have to get chain A, chain B, and also the bridge to pay you for that integration. Um, if not, then um, they're just going to run up the database calls of two chains and then one bridge, and that can be quite quite hefty, right? Um, we can get away with just integrating the API of different bridging providers and then pay them a little bit for that and then just surfacing um, a block spur, just having a block spur for some of the transactions. I think that for most bridges out there, they build their Explorer Sync house or they've... Um, yeah, actually, for a lot of them, it has been in-house. Um, there's a few interesting cases in which they built it, like someone else built it for them as an open-source project, and eventually they hired them. Um, so from this standpoint, we didn't see that the economies for creating a bridging a specific explorer made sense, other than it being a very cool technical piece of work. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that not, but now that actually Thor is quite self-sustaining, now we can get a little bit more... I guess, not, not necessarily experimental, but we can start pushing the boundaries with, okay, people want to surface this type of information. Uh, what can we do with this information if we do surface it, right? Mm -hmm. Now that there is a bit of, um, there is a, a bit of interest on like, oh, what are the what are the actual events that are happening across every single bridge out there? Um, right now we surface, if you go on, let's say it's scroll Sepolia on Dora specifically, we do tag quite a few of the L2 transactions. 
So for example, we are surfacing a little bit part of the going into the L2 or being able to post back information into the L2 on some chains out there. But it's something that we're still trying to, we're still effectively trying to figure out, do people actually care about this information? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, I guess that, that is kind of my, my. I, I saw that you, when you described the project in on Twitter, you have two different Twitter handles for the data side and kind yes. of the search side. I'm curious, what's the difference there? And do they have the same ideal user or is it a different profile? So it's actually very, <laughs> we had an exercise um, earlier this week um, as to brand positioning and also how we want to behave with every single one of the accounts. So at Search Andorra, it's very much the search engine app that is consumer-facing. The ideal user of uh, Search Andorra is one that, let's say, has been introduced to... Actually, okay, there, there's a few ideal users. One of them is the... It's a bimodal distribution between the super on-chain, heavy on-chain power user that has interacted with so many different L2s out there and so many different applications that it's now like, oh my God, I never want to bridge again. I never really want to uh, onboard into a new L2. Uh, like it's very messy, especially if you're someone that is very eager to try new, piece of, new pieces of tech out there. It's still a, a bit of a jarring experience, right? Like um, sending your funds to a random bridge that you've never heard of of trusting that, okay, this team has not messed up the integration of this one bridge that it can get hacked sometimes, or uh, this swapping, um, this text that has gotten hacked a few times and such. Um, and then this, the other one is a user that is just getting introduced to blockchains again, or has been a big crypto curious for some time now, and wants to interact with application, with all of these different ecosystems through one single interface that makes it trivial to find or doesn't even make the differentiation of what chains they're on unless the user really wants to, right? Uh, like the concept of having a chain-specific Dora and then an all-chains Dora is very much where we are headed in, in my belief. Like in my belief is one in which um, like a user is not necessarily, unless they want to be incredibly intentional about it, the user shouldn't know what chain they're on. And even then, there's a few features in which every single action that you're partaking on a single interface may be settled back into multiple chains. Let's say if you want to perform a transfer on Dora, maybe you're performing a transfer on a quote-unquote transfer-optimized chain, If you're, uh, especially if, let's say if you're engaging with a stablecoin. Uh, if you're performing a swap, maybe you're using a DEX-specific app chain out there instead of necessarily a DAP that is settled in one single chain. So maybe I'm going to Dora because it has everything. I can just trust that everything is going to be there eventually. Eventually, yes. And that is is very much a more um, grandiose vision, I'd say, than uh, what initially the what the initial scope of a hey, let's build a multi-chain block explorer was like. Uh, but it's still one that very much resonates with a, quite a few of our users, um, even internally. Like whenever we work with a with a new L two or there's few L two that are getting announced, especially in Q one, there's a really big push for L two in Q one. It's quite it's quite fascinating. I don't know what compels so many people to actually say, okay, uh, January will be the, the L2, I guess not summer, winter. <laughs> L2 uh, spring. They are. Like a, L2 a, spring. a wave yeah. of new L2s dropping in Q1 2024. Yeah. Yes, there's quite a few of them. Um, and I think there's a few of, I, I think there's a few of them in which it will be a bit interesting if you're able to not only have a very, if we're not able to only do, hey, Dora just integrated this L2, but we're able to say, hey, Dora, just integrate this L2, go and bridge into this L2 natively within the search app now. 
mm-hmm. or go mint a L2 passport that just keep which the price of it also technically gets bridged into the mm-hmm. into the other chain and then retroactively gives you some of the funds that you use to mint that L2 passport. Yeah, that's interesting. So so what what are the um, challenges in indexing that you're facing now and and how are you working with these partners? I know you mentioned a, a, a bunch of them. Um, which ones? Gold Sky, Simple Hash, uh, Numia, Celestia's mm-hmm. modular cloud. What what is yes. it that they provide to you? And I guess you implied it before, but you're focused as, on, on the context part rather than the the raw indexing, from what I understand. Yes, I think um, a lot of our focus is specifically on the hey, people don't um, just very very blatantly. No one out there really cares about an opinionated on-chain data. They only care about on-chain data insofar as to how much their contextualization infrastructure um, labels it, labels it, transform it, decode it, whatever, in a way that is actually useful to them. Right? Uh, very few people actually care about what the fee in the from the L one L two to the L one means as much as it is that hey, is this chain let's say for a VC is, is chain profitable? Right? Is this chain actually uh, has sort of economies of scale that will allow this chain to actually run itself. Um, it's as a way that, um, let's say for liquid fund tracers, they don't necessarily care about um, all DeFi activity on L2s. So they care about, okay, how many of these are uh, loans, repayments, how many, how much people are swapping, uh, what is the fees that they take on the swaps and whatnot. So to go back to the question specifically on, okay, how do we operate with index data providers? Is, uh, one of the main ones is that we try to now only do the extra, let's say the last mile of indexing. Um, it, originally, we were doing a lot more of the indexing in-house, uh, maintaining your own, uh, especially if, if you were very early on crypto, I think the feeling of your team doubling as an infrastructure team resonates. Um, and I, I don't think that's the way applications should be built. Um, <laughs> I think it's it's a bit jarring if you every single team out there has to maintain their own infrastructure, if every single team has to spin up their own nodes, maintain their own indexer, make sure that they are and beyond that, make sure that their own databases also don't go down, that their own APIs are are reliable and such. Exact same thing with the chain development team. Um, I don't think every single chain development team should be building all of their own developer um, experience ecosystem right like they should very much be leveraging stuff that is open source they should very much be be giving back to those tools as opposed to trying to create something complete a new stack completely from scratch unless of course it does serve them a very specific purpose right so with our index data providers they handle a lot of the very what i I guess what i call like raw data indexing and then just by the sheer fact that we've worked primarily with simple hash and gold sky um, actually, Simple Hash, had, um, I think, uh, have you had them on the show, actually? I, I think they will actually be, uh, I, I, I can connect you with Oli. I think he's, he's amazing as well. But they handle quite a bit of um, NFT data indexing, which is very much its own problem. Um, if you've chatted with a couple other NFT Yeah, we've had uh, Peter people. from Reservoir on who deal with yeah. that. Yeah, no, it's it's very much its own problem. I I think a lot of people very much underestimated how much indexing a random JPEG on a chain it was going to be, like how much work was going to be to do it consistently. Especially um, with all the uh, metadata caching problems and shared contracts, like the OpenSea contract is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, the OpenSea contract is one that not many people are actually 
really looking forward to work with, work with <laughs> which is kind of funny. They have a lot of the raw data indexing and then our unindexed data solution. Oh, and, go ahead. And they're looking for customers too. I mean, there's enough of them out there that they would be happy to provide services to somebody who's adding that contextual layer that they're not going to do, especially for cross-chain. Especially, especially for cross-chain, especially from, from the standpoint that, you know, they, they very much just want to focus on NFT indexing. It's its own gi- like gigantic problem. Um, maybe they want someone else to do, that is able to actually semantically tag some of their NFT actions that are specifically, let's say, DeFi actions, right? Um, not every single NFT. Some NFT sales are there are more DeFi-esque or, let's say, borrowing against your NFT. That feels a little bit more DeFi than just as a quote-unquote NFT action. Right, right. So do you think that um, maybe you can touch a little bit on how specifically search or maybe even like LLM inspired chat style interactions will affect uh, the default way that we interact with blockchains? Do you, do you foresee a kind of movement away from uh, protocol specific front ends towards something more like this search or chat style interface? Or is that just an experiment and, and still figuring it out? So I think th- this is where I, I have my somewhat... Uh maybe not not too controversial i I think some people have voiced them but i do think that there's so one of the key things that um i don't think as many people in the crypto ecosystem uh, really comprehend is just how much brand has to say over the way that we use applications and we think of goods and services in general right like whenever someone starts thinking of a dex they think first and foremost uniswap whenever uh now whenever people think of an NFT marketplace. Now it's a little bit of a, oh, okay, who will it be? Will it be Blur? Will it be um, Blur on top of Blast? <laughs> will it be uh, OpenSea? Will it be Sora? But still, there's very much this reflexivity into whatever the dominant app is, is the one that eventually grandfathers the UX for these interactions, right? Um, I do think, however, there's a very basic level of on-chain actions that any user can, that users should be able to find on a generalizable UX, right? Um, we don't necessarily go to, unless you're a power user of these tools, whenever we want to engage with a new type of ecosystem or a new type of goods and service, we go to a generalizable search engine to then find a bit more of a, a specific um, solution for whatever good and service you want to engage on, right? Uh, if you're looking for flights, maybe you, and you're a power user, you go to Expedia, you go to, I, I forget, other aggregators for that. I primarily use that one. But um, yeah, I guess there are a few, but you still begin your your primary search query on top of something like Google, right? Um, exact same thing with, I, I believe that we're seeing a very similar future play out on the, these new L2s. L2s um, I don't know, we, let's say whenever a new L2 launches, one of the first questions I see pop up in several chats is, oh, what's the DEX for this L2? And I don't think necessarily anyone particularly cares um, as to what is, like, who is the team deploying on a new L2 up until it is uh, one of the key players for their specific, let's say, uh, niche. In the case for DEXs, let's say someone like Unisoft actually deployed some, let's say, scroll, right, which was also a very big deal. Um, so there's a very there's a set of very basic actions that I think people are, are able to engage on in a general generalizable UX. And that is very much where we want, where we are positioning ourselves, I'd say. Um, that's one. Then two, when it comes to LLM inspired interfaces, I think something very fascinating is that even though uh, over the past two or 
two years uh, now, we've had a lot of competitors show show off on Twitter by saying, oh, we are an AI-inspired uh, search engine or explorer and whatnot. And they've always had really nice designs as to how their technology may work. Um, but then we, at least what we've seen in practice is just that people think it's a very cool idea and then they get no usage. Um, and I don't necessarily think that is um, result of, oh, the team is bad, the technology is really bad. You say, no, actually, the technology is it's, it's all right. It's not, um, it's not like insane, uh, but you can very much get to the point of, oh, people are familiar with a UX that already, people just want to find a simplified view of whatever happened on chain. They don't necessarily care that it's powered by AI other than, oh, that's a very cool thing to do. Right, they just want the capabilities. And so far, the capabilities are pretty weak as far as anything I've tested. Yeah, and they are not necessarily incredibly reliable. And that's also, you know, we're still early to those types of interfaces, in my opinion. I think when it comes to um, AI agents, there is a world in which, um, um, I remember chatting about this with uh, a few people that were very pilled on the idea of, oh, everyone is going to start controlling their everyone is going to give their private keys to a telegram bot right um i i think that uh that form of ux did have a at some point it did have like 12 percent of the volume over like one month or something of the sort but um i don't know how that has sustained after that i something that i do think it's a little bit more interesting is i'm actually being able to use ai agents for stuff that people truly just couldn't care any less about like let's say automating yield farming on a new L2. I think that type of stuff will be something straightforward. Um, But I think the UX of actually owning the user experience and walking down a user the path of, hey, do you want to register an ENS? This is how you go about it. Oh, do you want, you can either go to the ENS application or you can also do it within, I think it is one of the most beautiful things that Rainbow has done, honestly, by being able to, uh, but the UI that they created for registering their ENS within the Rainbow app, it's, I'm sure it's one of their most used uh, apps, actually. Sorry, features. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They also have a very nice cross-chain uh, swap UX. They they do now, yeah. No, it, it's it's quite nice now. So so basically, the LM uh, future, nothing uh, nothing concrete yet, but maybe influential for. I mean, it sounds like you're positioning or interested in positioning Dora as. Um, a convenient place to get to uh, sensible defaults and survey information across chains. So, for example, that might be integrating different L2s and having their sort of most reliable decks available directly within the swap interface inside Dora, something like that? Yes, and also I'd add to that one one more thing. Uh, if I may, may ask you something, what do you think is the most search uh, page on Dora? Uh, like the more the most searched type category of pages, I guess. If I if you want me to give you a few hints, people land and they search their own address or they search Vitalik. Yes. Um, <laughs> so one one of the things is uh, so searching Vitalik is one of those uh, very tried and true concepts within a developer's let's say right. Like whenever someone wants to show up their application, they're like, "Look, search Vitalik's address, and this is what we can do." Right. Like create these either bubbles of on-chain transactions, creating a heat map, creating a uh, number of NFT surfaces and whatnot. However, that is very much not the user profile. And this speaks to the, the users of Dora that Vitalik.it is not that search on Dora. The first time that I had Vitalik.it search on Dora, at least 
right in front of me was um it was actually my my girlfriend who's very much like developer minded (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh i've never seen anyone search that it was really funny it was a really funny realization as to who the average dora user is and as you point out yes it is people searching their own address on dora and it is so funny it's so funny that actually we have so many portfolio application uh tracking apps and the most and also you know Dora is still very much branded as a block explorer, like that we are in the business of block explorers as a service. Um, we're in a few other businesses as well, technically, but that's primarily our own. Um, sorry, our, our main one right now. And yeah, people still very much like to use a block explorer, not only as a, as a data insights tool, but as a, hey, can I check my wallet address? Or, hey, you integrate this L2 that I'm very excited about. Can I see my tokens there? Can I see my different transactions there? Um, like that is very much where we've uh, found a lot of our accidental, but I guess very needed product market fit um, that people very much care about a search tool as it pertains to themselves. I guess it's also, it's hard to know what is available in a search. You know, Google, one knows that it kind of indexes web pages. So if you search information mm-hmm. that will be on web pages, Google will probably have something, but it's not mm-hmm. clear what a search uh, block explorer with search would be able to surface or not be able to surface and i guess one thing especially in block uh, or blockchain applications is the search is often limited to addresses and not uh, sort of natural language inputs or even the titles of things you know open still uh, still feels like relatively at the front of the curve, despite it not being that exciting of a feature, just being able to search a collection's name, for example, or, you know, relative to like Etherscan, for example, I don't know if you search, if you put Uniswap into Etherscan, I have no idea what comes up, but I wouldn't trust it. I I would prefer to specify. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a sense that like name collisions are unsafe in search context on blockchains. Have you tried searching Uniswap on Dora? I'm going to try right now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, give it a give it a try and tell me what you what you think of the uh, of the results there. Okay, so the first thing I get is swap action, which I guess will take me to, yes. the, to the swap uh, application. Uh, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Uh, yeah. Token names, Uniswap, Uniswap v three governance rights, Uniswap v two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's like what is the. You know, I can imagine typing this in as as an alternative to typing in my own addresses to see, but I'm not even sure like what mm-hmm. what I'm. I guess the swap action is the one that makes the most sense because why am, why do I even care yes. about searching Uniswap for its contracts? It's not really relevant. I don't I don't know the addresses of the of the router or the various <laughs> tokens. Yeah, I think uh, after uh, th- this is very much where when I realized no, this is very much mental illness. Like I do know the Uniswap smart contract <laughs> addresses because we've had to interact with them so much when it comes to oh, there's this tiny bug that affects Uniswap, but because it affects Uniswap, it affects every single DEX fork that is, uh, that is out there in every single chain that we've integrated, right? Uh, so now I, now I know <laughs> which ones are the Uniswap smart contracts. But um, as, you, as you point out, yeah, like there, there is no reason why someone should be able to search everything on chain just to see it. Right. Um, if right. you want to look at smart contracts, I think that there is a there was a very exciting project that I'm so mad it didn't play out. But there was a smart contract specific search engine, and I was so excited to actually integrate them within Dora. I I really wanted to uh, just tell them, hey, imagine if, if someone searches a smart contract Dora, we have the semantic label for it. Uh, what if you are able to actually search every single 
let's say within within the search engine itself, search every single smart contract that contains these function names, right? Or give me a filter list of all of the different DEXs that um, that are forks of Unisob B2 across every single chain, and we can reliably say, hey, the source code is the exact same, same, same mm-hmm. like the bytecode. Rank by popularity right? on some other L2 or something. I know there is code, I don't know how to pronounce it, CodeSlaw, I think it is, CodeSlaw.app that has something, I don't mm-hmm. know if it has search exactly, um, mm-hmm. but also reminds me of... Um, prior guest on the show backseats has this project contract reader and yeah. uh, i think he's working on i don't know i've encouraged him to work on uh, making um you know kind of genius.com style annotation let people like actually contribute to some kind of collective database of information auditing publicly audit you know you can imagine someone people uh, i've done it myself but lots of people do these kind of twitter threads explaining how frentech or some other contract works but that yeah. information is ultimately lost to whatever, uh, you know, x.com dark patterns over time. And it would be better if it was somewhere where people could build a reputation for doing public audits of things or just explaining how they function at the very least. Uh, Mm -hmm. And maybe that's kind of the problem. Like if I search Uniswap, maybe I want to search, I want to swap, I should say. Uh, But if I don't Mm want to swap, then, you know, seeing the contract is not that interesting. Maybe I want to understand I don't know which uh, tokens are the most popular, you know, which token pairs are the most popular or something like that. Yes, I think that is where that is where the differentiation between Uniswap, sorry, Uniswap, uh, Search on Dora and then Dora Data comes. Um, Dora Data is the, I, I like to joke that uh, Search on Dora is the one that you, is the, the account that you want to crack a beer with and then Dora Data is the one that you sip on whiskey with. Uh, so you have a very, very refined infrastructure conversation about the future of uh Multi, the multi-chain ecosystem. But um, yeah, I think that being able to, and actually I, I find that to be a very fascinating idea. It would be very interesting if you had a YouTube-like interface for searching smart contracts and you have a lot of people just explaining you how the smart contract works um, or even just publicly contributed docs to, back to the smart contract. Yeah, right? I feel I feel often so much of the diligence of whether or not you should use something is based on, even amongst intelligent, knowledgeable people is based on what they read in some Twitter thread. Uh, rather than <laughs> looking at it themselves. So it would be good if at least there was some closer connection between those kinds of audits and the code itself, or at least some mm-hmm. kind of Reddit-style ranking system of those explanations, maybe pointing out holes, accumulating information in some place where people can actually find it. If there was that with the search on top of it, then I might go search for Uniswap and see, or as mm-hmm. you say, like, you know, some, uh, I don't know, Palm network, what's the DEX on Palm? Uh, well, maybe, I don't know, but maybe Dora can tell me. Exactly, yeah. So that is where, so that is one of the, you know, people often ask about the, the becoming the discoverability layer for different uh, networks for Web3 and whatnot. Um, I do think that just by the sheer way the explorers have positioned themselves as a single source of the, the quote-unquote best source of truth for every single chain out there, um, I do think that they serve that fun- that as a quintessential function, right, That uh, to give validity back to the information being surfaced on a chain, which is also a little bit silly because apparently explorers should be unopinionated. I think they should be very opinionated. But yeah, I think the, um, I'm saying, if you, but there is one thing to point out on the on the concept of, okay, being able to surface the smart contracts out there, like just the source code or just verifiability of whether or not you should use a smart contract there. Um, the functional use case of that is for a developer is very much, okay, learning how the smart contract works right um and giving can you give you feedback on like hey this is a very interesting optimization did here and there um like people make tweet uh tour threads on that uh, the very functional the very pragmatic use case for that for the consumer 
for just an everyday everyday user that doesn't necessarily want to interact with um applications too much in the it's the exact same way that when you go to a not so great website or when you go to a safe website uh Google has this little lock thing uh, to view site information, right? And if you look at your current, uh, are you using Chrome, Firefox, any browser out there, um, you are able to see that the lock that says, hey, this website is safe, is so ubiquitous that it's very much not the centerpiece of the experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder how many people, I wonder how it really affects people I mean, can you trust it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, yes, it's like SSL or what have you, but like regular people have no idea. I guess you just notice if it has an X on it and uh, rather than maybe, I mean, it's pretty easy for people. I, I remember there was a video when Chrome first came out, Google hit the streets in New York and asked people what's a mm -hmm. web browser, something like that. And essentially yeah. nobody knows what a web browser is. They don't know the difference between search, the address bar and the browser itself, it's a very foggy concept for lots of people. So I wonder how these UX things like the little lock really, how much, I mean, could it not just be in the top, you know, 40 pixels of the website and convince be most people just as much, I wonder. Yeah, no, I, th I think it's very much one of those things that um, we have, um, anyone that has ever got to rugging crypto will never trust a thing just blindly ever again, right? And sadly, a lot of people have gotten rugged in crypto <laughs> um, in various shapes and forms. Uh, either socially or economically, I guess financially, the concept of just giving one key portion of actually being able to make a seamless interface for anyone to, anyone truly, anyone on the street, like coming up to someone on, not no random on the street because that, that'd be weird, but maybe like someone that you just met and telling them, hey, I'm not working on like, oh, what are you working on? And you say, oh, on this project is a search engine. Look, go, go look, search whatever you want, right? And giving them maybe in the exact way that Google did early on with the I'm feeling lucky button, uh, giving them a, f a few like prompts as to, oh, you can search this thing, right? Having them click on that and then feeling, oh, I feel safe in this interface. I don't feel that I'm scared. I don't think um, something bad is going to happen to me. I don't think that if I want to start interacting with this application, I don't think anything will be, anything wrong will stem from that, right? Like being able to recreate that experience and instead of giving people reasons to doubt the user journey is something that is very undervalued. Even though we do want verifiability without a centralizing entity, but the way in which, um, I don't know if we have just yet a decentralized entity that we can all trust other than, let's say, Ethereum, yeah. which is a little bit interesting. I think the, the introduction of Ethereum as an entity that we can all trust is, is still, like that. that's supposed to be the whole really reconceptualizing uh, groundbreak world-shattering realization of blockchains, right? Yeah, actually, this this kind of leads to a separate question, and maybe we should talk a little bit about Femboy Capital, too. Can, can you explain what that is, how it came together? <laughs> sure. Uh, so Femboy Capital, actually, okay, very funny thing. Uh, someone, when we did our uh, a fun fundraise that we haven't announced <laughs> just yet, but uh, during diligence, someone was asking me about Femboy something else, um, I don't, but it, it was a group that was in no way, shape or form linked to us, but they're during their diligence. They were like, Hey, we heard of like this entity, uh, throws insane raves. Um, like there's a lot of, uh, abuse of different substances. Are you partaking on that? And I was like, 
look, like I'm, I actually have never heard the name that you just mentioned. So, uh, but, 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 but if you have an this, invite, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. But it's like, but these, these sound insane. These sound crazy. Like, um, and also your, um, uh, this was after like, I don't know, like maybe like after three weeks of diligence and they were like, and bringing like this, this random organization that I had no idea of into it was, was just hilarious. It was very much a, a breeze, a, a friend, a breeze of fresh air, I guess, um, <laughs> during diligence. But, but yeah, the, so how it came about, I honestly joined quite, quite late into it. Um, it was primarily start, it was started by quite a few tour announcements. Uh, amongst one of them, we actually hire eventually Nymph, uh, Crypto Nymphy. I think uh, her new handle is Riso Nymph or something of the sort. Uh, I remember she wanted to make a call out to yeah Riso Nymph. Uh, she wanted to make a call out to uh, to Rizomatic Thinking and uh, the Lucent Guattari. Yeah, it, it just started as oh collective of announcements that are interested on on chain stuff in general. No particular thing that we are all how to say it, uh, in, in, enticed by. But it was very much a research collective, um, Discord, people just hanging out there, uh, chatting up a bunch. What era did it get started in? I think it started early, um, yeah, so like August August 2018, um, I joined a little bit early 2019, so sorry, mid, like early 2020 to it. But yeah, no, they've been around for a bit. And and what so what, why did you join? What is it? I mean, is it, is it like individuals who get deal flow for investments together, or is there an institution itself as well? Oh, okay. So that is actually a little bit of the funny misconceptions about Fanboy Capital. Fanboy Capital was never supposed to be a proper uh, investment fund thing. Um, Fanboy Capital is primarily just a research collective. At some point, at the very end. Of it. I guess not at the end of it, but like at the end of the height of engagement within the the Discord, someone, some fan out there did give an LP allocation to some people, um, to like a multi-sake of some people that were part of Fanboy Capital. So then that became a little bit more of a, okay, let's allocate this um, to other people, but that was not necessarily the the main focus of it. If anything, uh, yeah, like it's not uh, like a proper fun. <laughs> Fundy was just a, hey, it's just a silly name for this research collective. But it does, I mean, I, you know, I, the reason I mention it, aside from just because it's interesting and I'd love to hear more about it, is just, I, you know, you sort of point about brand uh, driving consumer behavior, but at the same time, there's very few legitimate decentralized institutions or organizations or entities mm-hmm. of whatever type, uh, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum or, or, or something yeah. that come to mind. And yet brand, and obviously with the news recently of uh, Blur's Blast uh, L2 and, uh, you know, reaching near parity or maybe by the time this comes out, exceeding the TVL of base, despite being just a multi-sig at this stage, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, but at the same time, I, I feel people are critical of Blast for, you know, some very legitimate reasons, but also maybe miss the point, which is that there's some fantastic technology out there in like, for example, the ZK rollup space that has very little adoption, whereas what Blast is able to bring to the table is is distribution is publicity and engagement and that's yeah. i think easy for technical purists to treat as pure ponzi bs but the fact of the matter is that if you can get people to pay attention and participate and even bridge to your project then you're quite a bit further along in terms of actual adoption and maybe some of the technical details can be sorted out later or, or improved upon over time as long as you mm-hmm. have that kind of active community of habitual users which which is really important at the same time you can take it too far and have uh you know something that is just pure brand uh and really has no substance underneath it which ultimately either hurts a lot of people or disappears as you know 
the the reality of its lack of substance is made apparent. Um, so I'm curious if if you know Femboy Capital seems to me like something where it does have this uh, you know very strong brand and very strong mm-hmm. mimetic uh, distribution. So I'm curious, like, what is it that the researchers there? What is it that brought them together? Like, uh, what is it about mm-hmm. this meme that worked? And then what is the kind of substance of the research? Like, what you know, what, what do people talk about? Yeah. So I think um, I guess a, a really quick comment. I think when it comes to Blast, some people do forget about how quite a few of the very large projects in crypto uh, did begin as a form of a fancy whitelisting, right? Like a very fancy, uh, no, sorry, no, no whitelisting, whitelist. Um, like even until recently, there are a few very large projects out there that launched and they were essentially a glorified whitelist for the application that was quote unquote coming soon. Um, but still, people didn't seem to mind because apparently their yield was quite good, right? Um, so there's that. Um, two, when it comes to the mimetic power of institutions like framework capital and such, I think a lot of this is very much a in, implicit, or in this case, a very explicit rep, uh, reputation system uh, in which, uh, and I, I was actually talking about this with a, with a friend of mine um, yesterday, Quasimat. Oh yeah, there, he's got a great, a great, the, great Twitter account. Yeah, no, he's awesome. Uh, it's one of my closest friends, one of my best friends, actually. There's very few crypto projects that haven't either stem, or actually, they don't necessarily need to stem from this inner circle of crypto, I guess, quote-unquote influencers, or um, early-day crypto adopters, um, or that eventually, maybe the, I, the same Genesis idea does stem out of this inner circle, and then eventually find its way uh, into the global crypto consciousness by being approved from this inner circle of crypto uh, early adopters, developers, um, whales, and whatnot, to actually reflexively give meaning back to the project and give it its thumbs up and say, hey, your product does fit under the vision that we have for the larger EVM ecosystem, right? So I do think there is a there is something that is missed uh, when it comes to just make the inner circle of different applications approve of all different, honestly, tech stacks, um, approve of your idea in the exact same way that uh, every single AI company that was that had a name, any form, form of angel check by, um, by Sama, like it was, it was insane, right? Like it's definitely pretty an immediate goal for a lot of people. Every single uh, crypto application out there that has an angel check from Vitalik is also an immediate goal for the broader ecosystem. Um, whether or not that gets adoption in the end, um, I think that it's more so a matter of how much they're able to market their product, of course, right? Um, that is one. And then when it comes to just addressing the question, okay, like what do people discuss about in front of capital? It was a lot of um, just like, hey, day-to-day life, like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, you're doing great, awesome, great, glad to hear. And then the other one was like, oh, there's this new application that just launched. I think people are, there's this arb opportunity that just presented uh, because of the way they, because of the way they, uh, their VM works, because of the way uh, the different DEXs that are currently deployed on that application work, because they were able, they're using this Oracle provider, this or other Oracle, Oracle provider, uh, or, oh, liquidity seems low here, maybe um, you're, and this or sex just integrated, maybe if you're able to impact 
liquidity on this DEX, and then you will change significantly the liquidity on another DEX. I, I mean, even CL, like CAT, CAT talked very openly about how early days crypto, uh, you could very easily just place a, a couple of, I guess, test trades uh, on some sexes out there um, and measure how like the latency of price updates across every single sex. And you were able to create this, this matrix of, okay, you place, let's say you go long on a perp on sex A, and then you just long a spot Bitcoin on sex B, um, sorry, on sex D, and then you wait for B and C to get updated. And that eventually creates the, this higher like beta move on sex D. So that, that kind of stuff we discussed, or at least that, that was the stuff I was primarily interested on because uh, before, um, it's not something I talk about that much, but before, before joining crypto, I was running a quantitative fund. Um, mm. Just like uh, when, I, when, I left, when I left uni, I, yeah, like I, I was doing a lot of a, like statistics type work in uni. Uh, it, I was doing psychology, but I got more, more so interested on the statistics portion of it and then eventually found my way into meeting a bunch of bankers coming up with my own uh, thesis is for like, hey, let's see if these uh, things work in uh, in public markets, and they they did seem to work, and that eventually eventually I found my way to crypto through that. Hmm, fascinating. So that's 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 the kind of research that was uh, drew you in. Yes, I very much was fascinated by the the fund that I was running was very much based in market structure, like completely zero care as to what you're actually trading uh, trading, but truly caring about what is the net basis expression of oh, there's all of these. Um, Investment thesis, there's all of these like investment practices, more portfolio theory tells you to uh, have a, a balanced exposure to all of these different factors. Um, let's say you create a multi, I, I, I just realized that uh, also we're on a podcast, it's quite funny. I, this feels more like a call, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, which is nice. It's very nice, actually. I was a bit nervous we were hopping on, but yeah, like, oh, let's say, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's very, very reassuring, uh, very, very nice and easy. But um, let's say getting the, looking at multi-factor approach of how much, Liquidity is behind every single factor that people, that modern portfolio theory dictates, or I guess suggests to such dictates. Uh, a lot of very large institutions deploy their capital on. See how much money is behind every single one of these factors and how much liquidity they will dry up out of every the resulting basket of, um, let's say, equities, stocks, whatever, and the results if you were to apply these different lenses of investments analysis, right? Um, and then just looking at liquidity impact, not looking at, oh, what is the valuation? What is their thing? What is their that? Just looking at, will, people, will a lot of people be buying or not? And at the only industry that at the time I thought were, the only, the only cohorts of people that were very honest about that were uh, international finance were like market makers uh, or like quantitative traders and such like, or, but at a very, a group that was incredibly honest about that, well, way beyond um, traditional finance, was uh, crypto researchers. And that is how I, I met Tarun, actually, from Gauntlet. Oh. And he's the one that eventually did get me into crypto because we were like, hey, I was like, hey, like market structure is, is crazy, it's sick. Uh, and then he was like, have you heard of the, uh, decentralized market makers? And I was like, no, what's that? <laughs> and that's, the, uh, <laughs> that's how it all uh, played out. Wow. And uh, just to finish up on Fanboy, is Fanboy Capital still active? Are you still hanging around there? What's the status? I mean, I think people uh, from Fanboy Capital are active with each other. Um, let's say like Nymph. Nymph works with us, right? And she's amazing. So in that sense, we are active, but we're not active as a 
collective. I believe the last post by was by Susu Han. That was about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now we just like reply to each other whenever we see each other out there. Hmm. Um, I'm curious if, given your perspective with all the indexing context generation, if you have any interesting insights you've observed about L2 adoption or what kinds of applications are popular or where user retention is and is not, or how maybe chain data might violate some of the expectations of people who only really know what's surfaced on Twitter and aren't looking at the, mm-hmm. the raw data. Is there is there anything underlying that, that you've noticed that's interesting to people? Yeah, I, I think there's quite a few interesting things that were very overlook with the thesis of let's have every single application be its own chain, right? Amongst one of them, let's say like the, the very existence of Dora data, uh, which we, we haven't publicized too much as to like, okay, what is the difference between uh, search on Dora and Dora data? Um, but Dora data stems out of the sheer need from a lot of institutions, data analytics platforms, and so on and so forth that don't want to do their own indexing and just want a reliable contextualized data provider to go to them and tell them, hey, this L2 just popped up. Do you have data on it? Can you tell us what type of actions are happening there? And they don't necessarily want to look at a super technical tool or a tool, an open source tool out there that then they have to maintain themselves. Uh, Traditionally, people were more okay with that because a lot of investment funds or intelligence uh, arms of um, different, um, I guess, production production houses out there like anyone producing intelligence reporting, we're more okay with hiring in heavy infrastructure people to run these things in-house. Uh, now it's more so, uh, hey, do you have a proper vendor for this data, right? Uh, now we're getting into finally a little bit more of the data brokers side of uh, development as a, as a whole tech as tech industry. Uh, sorry, as a whole uh, part of the uh, tech sub-niche in which people are finally becoming data vendors, people are finally getting to realize, okay, you don't, maybe there's the appropriate proxy for measuring success of an L2 is not how much money was bridged, but how much money is actively getting used after it is being bridged, right? Like maybe tools like, like right now we have DeFi, DeFi Llama and L2 Beats for DeFi TVL and just like bridge TVL, but maybe there's a bit of more nuance that people want out of that, right? Uh, like being able to look at a, you can very clearly tell which actions on a chain are botted and which ones are not. And I think um, a very simple telltale of that is whether or not, a, I, I do it myself, right? Like I, I just go on Dora and I search up the chain that we just integrated and I'm like, okay, let's see. Um, so you, we generate these uh, this profile pics for every single user, for every single EVM address out there, right? You can see when, you can very easily tell whenever it's a power user just like, moving size and whatever is the exact same bot engaging with the exact same smart contract out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's basically a lot more because I, I experienced this when looking at the L2s or, um, you know, I spent some time looking at NFT applications uh, that live across chains and, you know, it's always like uh, some out of date Dune, Dune dash uh, yeah. that maybe it's a bit dubious whether or not it's accurate. Um, and there's really not, it doesn't seem, even though all this open data, it doesn't seem like there's really been a successful, you know, you just, you search on Dune and you see what you can find. And maybe there's something mm-hmm. that was updated three months ago or eight months ago, or is 
actually kept up to date by someone who's paid a salary to create it. But it's yeah. always a little bit unclear if what you're looking at is really quality data. And then oftentimes <laughs> the way that it's framed in the analysis that they provide in their charts and graphs is maybe suboptimal. Like I was looking at something earlier about uh, Zora protocol rewards, for example, and they have a very nice, one of the most sort of actively maintained looking dashes that I've seen recently. However, it breaks things down by week. There's no daily view in the dashboards. And so you get a little, or, you know, they don't maybe break it down by the referrers in the way that I would be curious to to understand. Or I was trying to see how mint.fun is doing. And mm-hmm. the mint.fun dashboard is not very informative. So there is this, uh, I, I wonder if that's something that you think the Dora consumer product would ever face, or is that something even that maybe the, the more intelligence product uh, would, would try to, to solve for? So we have, um, I can give you a sneak peek that we have, uh, how to say it, uh, light analytics on Dora have been achieved internally. Uh, we, we are shipping <laughs> it sometime very soon. Uh, but as, I, as the name mentions, it's very light. Uh, we don't necessarily want to be a Dune competitor. There is one thing that we point out that um, there's a lot of applic- you can easily tell which applications out there were built with the multi-chain feature in mind and which ones were not. Right? Like I don't. This is not not to speak ill of Dune. I I find Dune fascinating. I think it's an amazing product. But their infrastructure was not built to integrate a chain a day. Right? Um, and there's many applications out there that were not built for that. Uh, who would have thought that we would have many instances of mini Ethereum's popping up everywhere, all with different uh, optimizations for their one specific use case? Like I didn't think that was gonna be a thing when I joined. I I feel I feel like when I, when I joined, I was like, okay, I can see how that may happen, but I don't necessarily think that would be the like I, I wasn't sold on it. And after a few months, then I was like, okay, no, I, I think this needs to happen, um, especially as soon as finding out about Celestia area, I'll be on as well. So uh, give me uh, one second. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to ask a more general question. So how many people are working on Dora these days? Now we, we just hired one more person. Now we're around like 10 people. Hmm, nice. And yeah, I guess I, I'm curious just more generally, what are you excited about right now? What's, uh, what's sort of keeping you up at night related to crypto? So there's quite a few projects uh, related to crypto. So I, I'm, I try to be very intentional of actually developing features that uh, into Dora and also pushing for infrastructure that will eventually give, lead to more users, not only on Dora, but on a net basis to on-chain stuff in general, right? A few things that keep me up at night on that end. One of them is honestly just unification of multi-chain accounts. I think even though it's a very somewhat niche infrastructure thing, uh, not too niche because we have a lot of wallets out there, but there are a lot of discussions amongst like, oh, it's technically, yes, every single time you create an EVM address, that address gets unlocked across every single EVM out there uh, with some exceptions and such. But uh, still, technically, one EVM address on chain A is different from EVM, the exact same EVM address on chain B. And technically, what uh, what those two together are is just a cross-chain account instead of an address itself. But still, being able to get that UX right very much keeps me up at night, especially because we are gonna we're giving it our own go at how to do that uh, in a few not in a few weeks but in a few days, uh, depending on how much our our, our front end engineer is able to pump out that feature. Um, but yeah, we're giving it a go on that. Um, two, I think on ramps off ramps kept me up at night for a while, but then after seeing. Freebie actually coming to fruition, I feel a lot more safe on that. Uh, I feel a lot more uh, reassured. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a no-brainer, right? Um, so, um, 
my major, uh, quite frankly, my major, one of my major concerns on Dora was, okay, I, like I, I've shown Dora to quite a few users that uh, had no idea what crypto was about. And they've actually become like, they, they become recurring users, uh, which I, I was quite happy about. I will say, okay, that I, I thought they were just being nice at first, right? Um, like you show them, you show someone what you're working on, they're like, oh, this is nice. And then they, they text you like weeks after, and then they're like, hey, like I saw this thing happening, like uh, on Dora, like, uh, like is this working, is it not working? And they're like, oh, wow, you're still using the app. So, but one of my major concerns was, okay, we can put every single bit of a suit of essential actions on, on Dora, but how do people actually get to take them, right? Like, where do they own ramp? I think that um, having something like previous is a very much something that makes it a lot more simple, right? How do they actually get to have any funds on chain and even beyond that create any semblance of an account on chain? Um, that's two, I guess. And then the third one is the, honestly, the, the action portions of it, which is something that um, I do ultimately, I, can, I guess, uh, can, do you want to guess how many searches there are across search engines in the world every single month? Across all search engines in the world? Yeah. Uh, how many times, so how many times people hit enter, people, or search, whatever, tap the search, search button? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's a great question. Um, Across the world, yeah. Let's say there's about 5 billion people with a phone. They're all yeah. searching maybe on average, let's say three, five, ten, maybe five times a day on average, 10 times a day on average. Mm-hmm. I don't know, let's say, or you said per month? Per month, yeah. So what is that, 15 or 1 trillion, 500 billion? Yeah. <laughs> is that possible? Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there, it's closer to like, at least across the, some major search engines, um, there's like 36 billion searches month on a monthly basis. Oh, that doesn't seem so uh, bad. It doesn't seem so bad, yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's actually really, really nice that you gave a, uh, you were one of the first people to point out that, okay, there's these many people with phones, right? Um, I think something a little bit funny is that not everyone with a phone actually uses the phones that they have on a daily basis as well. Or they um, might not search that much. Yeah, they might not search that much as much as they just use the applications. But the average person does search like 2.5 times a day, which is also funny because it's like, how do you search half a time, right? But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, half a search, I guess, maybe type ahead. Um, but... Out of those 36 billion searches on a monthly basis, um, by the way, just just re, just to be transparent, this number differs a lot on depending on who you ask. I think the the data for this is not public, so it's silly as well. Right. Um, yeah, but um, out of those all of those searches, how many do you think actually end up in economic action? Does like viewing something? Does viewing? You mean something where they they pay money? The person searching pays for something directly? Okay, so very good uh, nuance there. So an economic action, we mean by any type, sort of form of like someone searching for something and then engaging in an economic action within the browser or then going to the place that they just searched to engage in an economic action. So I say you search for coffee, you buy coffee through your browser or you go to the coffee shop. I guess the amount of SEO farmed uh, search results would suggest that quite a few of those uh, searches result in purchase actions uh, yeah. such that it's worth doing all the SEO spam blog posts. Um, but I wonder, I mean, a lot are also like, I don't know, some kid searching something in TikTok and then yeah. watching a TikTok, maybe uh-huh. they're not going to, they're not going to transact, but maybe they do generate a view, which generates some kind of creator revenue potentially. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but you're saying what, yeah. what percentage are leading to like actual conversions of some yeah. kind? 
I don't know, maybe maybe 10%? 50%. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's an insane number, and I think um, it's something very overlooked, especially when it comes to the fact that the search engine is not the one particularly capturing that economic action that occurs through its browser. The only way that they capture it right now is, as you pointed out, um, some firms capture it through SEL, some other firms capture it through marketing. Um, on Indora, we don't necessarily, we, we often get, get asked about this, uh, are you going to put ads on Dora? Uh, I can tell you that after spo- speaking with quite a few uh, blog explorers out there, like the, the big ones, uh, they are all, they all admit that marketing revenue for blog explorers is tiny. Even though they may get users, even though people may look into it, um, no one clicks on it. Like when is like the last ads. time that you've, yeah, like ads. Ads, no one really clicks on an ad on a Block Explorer. It's oh, really, yeah, really I, I uBlock uh, removed the element from Etherscan sometime in yes. 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, um, I haven't seen an ad on a lot of pages because I have my ad blocker up. And that that is not to be anti-ad. I, I very much think that some ads are actually useful, right? Um, but the um, something I do find a little bit fascinating is the idea that you don't want to necessarily you don't want to necessarily capture economic activity just by ad referrals, but it is a bit more interesting if you are actually able to capture some of that economic activity by allowing people to partake on the good and service they just so happen to be searching on. Mm-hmm. Something more like MetaMask swaps. Uh, MetaMask swaps, but also I think so. Something I very, I try really hard to do is to not necessarily go back to. Okay, this is an implementation that exists in this application today, right? But also just think think of it as imagine if you were able to actually search your coffee within Google and then just buy it through Google in just one simple click uh, without having to download the Starbucks application, without having to download anything, just being able to. There's a shopping section on Google now, right? And as of course, like people still go to an ag- um, the specific aggregator for direction that they were looking for. But if we see the world actually coming on chain, like if we truly internalize what it means to have every single industry beyond finance, arts, uh, any NFTs, any form of IP generation uh, industry, which is quite frankly most industries out there. Um, if we see them come on chain, imagine just the platitude of goods and services that we can, that people are going to be searching for. And I don't think even a tool like Google is properly built to contextualize that information. And even more, like they're not built to actually let you engage with that information in a way that they can actually facilitate a transaction. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I see people moving there, at least the, 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 the rumor is I don't have data backing it up, but that people like, Mm -hmm. uh, the the youngest generation of internet users are doing their search primarily inside of YouTube and especially TikTok, and not resorting to Google at all, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. It is interesting. I think it's, I think, uh, the disintermediation of search engines is something that is a little bit is out there as well. Um, I I do know some people that are very much like, oh, I don't use a search engine. I just only use a, um, how to say it? I only use ChatGPT and such. Um, we'll see if that plays out over the long run. Um, I don't know if the text chatbot interface is something that people resonate with. I, I guess that engagement numbers says that they do. Uh, engagement numbers with posts about them says they do. Engagement numbers with the features themselves says that they don't. And that's also a little bit interesting, you know, of itself. But yeah, I guess we'll we'll see how people, how comfortable do people feel actually searching for 
you know, maybe you, you're searching for an application on Google and you're like, okay, um, I don't know if, like, would you go on Google to search swaps on L2 that, uh, a random L2 that just launched? Maybe not, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you'll first learn about the L2, then go on Twitter, then go on their Discord, then go on their talks, see who they're working with and whatnot. Uh, imagine being it as simple as searching the network that just launched or having even a banner on the search engine that you use every day or one of the applications that you use every day saying like, we just integrated this, this chain, uh, come check it out. And yeah, you get into the chain's uh, main network interface and then you're able to engage with in as many applications as you want there. Right. Um, you mentioned that you have uh, recently or are closing a, a funding round. I don't know if there's anything you can say about that. We, we are, we're quite quiet about it, but what we can say is that up to, up to now, like on early stage funding, we've raised 5.5 mil. Um, I think people are still very much interested on, uh, on the vision of, okay, what, what if a block explorer, <laughs> it sounds a bit silly, but what if a block explorer actually cared about mass adoption <laughs> instead of just uh, power users, right? Which I think makes sense. Like, um, I think it's a little bit, uh, you know, I, I often made fun of, uh, how to say it, what is this word? Oh, contrarians, at least uh, within traditional finance, you don't necessarily see contrarians playing out really well. You see contrarians that's actually lagging, whatever major, missing out on the ma- biggest trend out there. But there is a truth to, sometimes we just got to really think as to whether or not the, the tech tree or the user journey tree that we're on is actually the right one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. I, I've reached the end of the, my list of questions. Is there anything that we should talk about related to Dora or crypto or the state of affairs or what you're interested in? Anything that we left out that you think we should cover? Um, let me think. Um, actually, I guess I, I wonder, okay, I guess I have two questions. One is out of every single, um, people that you've had on the show, every single one of their projects, how many of them do you think are truly set up to handle, I don't know, let's say, and I know this, that sounds like maybe like a a bit of a high number. Some people may say like a thousand, 10,000, whatever. Right. Um, but how many projects do you think are, are set up to handle that many chains a million chains you said uh maybe let's start with a hundred honestly a hundred chains um yeah. i think there are it's hard to think in aggregate not everybody is maybe thinking that way exactly but um i talked to the most recent episode to drop was a first mate who do uh yeah. create her own secondaries and yeah. they rely Jake, on Jacob friends yeah yeah they're great and uh mm-hmm. it was a great conversation too and they, uh, mm-hmm. reminds me, they rely a lot on Reservoir. Peter was on the show previously. I think both of those are very set up for spinning up chains. And I think the way First Mate mm-hmm. described it was, uh, Jacob says, you know, whenever when somebody asks for it, that's when we do it. But as long as it's kind of a one-one EVM equivalent chain, it's it's actually quite easy. Other recent guests have been very involved in uh, AA uh, infrastructure, uh, Biconomy, um, a lot of wallet uh, providers, Capsule, others. And yeah. I think for those people, I'm not sure. There's there's a big question in that world about cross-domain passkey-based mm-hmm. signers on AA wallets and or AA accounts. And actually, I was uh, interacting with uh, Pedro yes. Gomez recently about this because he feels that... Uh-huh. Um, if the account is on a different chain, then it's a completely separate account, which I think in a lot of ways is technically 100% accurate, uh, and that we shouldn't rely on 
being able to deploy the same smart contract account to, to the same address on different chains because of differences between the chains and differences between the uh, deployers. Maybe there will be computing their create two address differently. And so you can't rely on the address being the same, but it kind of draws into question what the sort of uh, benefits of having a smart contract account in a cross-chain world are if every single chain is going to be managed, you know, the state of its permissions and even the address to which it's deployed is completely different. Um, maybe they're just sharing a signer. So it sort of uh, cuts into the kind of cross-chain UX improvement that some of this smart contract account thinking, 437 thinking has been pushing towards. So I think the, the, I think the, the, the group of people who are building today who are more this class of 2021 or later are very all in on the multi-chain future, but it seems like the UX still has uh, a lot to be figured out. And as far as I can tell, I, I think personally that there's going to be a big difference between applications that attempt to be, for example, wallets that are really cross-chain compatible and surface, you know, maybe aggregate your ETH across all these different chains into like a single line item in your portfolio. And then I think there's going to be on the other end of the spectrum applications that really hide the fact that you're on a a specific chain at all and you, you your experience lives ex entirely on one app chain or some l2 but you don't really have to think about the like friend pet for example comes to mind or friend tech or any of these where you know cross chain is not really a factor it's the application lives on a specific chain and so they don't need to do things like aggregate eth across different chains so for them maybe they don't need to you know deal with a thousand chains all at the same time yeah, no, I, I think I think that is some, honestly one of the particularly interesting things, um, whether or not the chain UX, if the a thousand chains thesis plays out in such a way that every single application owns the user journey for their specific chain and they don't have to care about every other chain out there. But then there's also the question of does that also imply doesn't that also imply that this application also doubles as an infrastructure piece or has an infrastructure provider that does have to care about being able to support 1,000 chains, right? I think there is a there is a bit of a differentiator there, um, and also I, I saw the thread by the way on a uh, that you had with Pedro yeah. Gomez, right? It, it, it was interesting. I think um, it, it was also interesting because I was just chatting about the exact same thing with someone else one day before uh, on Slack, and because we were gonna make we were gonna make an announcement, and someone was like, "Wait, that can we actually say that every single Ethereum address is the exact same one across every single chain?" And I was like. Depends on who you ask, <laughs> it's, uh, especially when it comes to a smart contract account, uh, wallet addresses. Um, yeah, that's one. Um, yeah, that, that was honestly my, my major question. Like, which ones, which infrastructure mm -hmm. providers do you think are positioned out there to actually handle uh, integrating 100 chains next year and which ones are, uh, yeah, which ones are not? I think we'll see something interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I kind of wonder, I think as long as you're able to transact that will be the difference. Like if I, let's say I, let's say there's some new uh, privy based uh, app that's on some chain. I don't even care which chain, maybe a chain that doesn't even exist yet. Um, as long as I can play and have fun. And I mean, I think the biggest reason is, you know, get some kind of financial upside. I think that's what motivates people most frequently. And then take that financial upside and exit it to somewhere where I feel more comfortable. Maybe that's L1, maybe it's Polygon or Optimism or some sort of more base, maybe even some chain that I spend more time in interacting on, then I'm not sure that I need like universal access from a single entry point wallet on uh, all these different chains. If, if the experiences are self-contained, then as long as I can exit 
to somewhere where I spend uh, more time or feel more comfortable or a cold wallet or something, then I think that's that's okay. So I, I wonder if everybody is going to need to be as maximally multi-chain as possible. But certainly the infrastructure providers, you know, the indexers, the uh, like uh, NFT uh, secondary aggregators like Reservoir, I feel those, it is. It, it does seem like the scale of L2 proliferation through EVM equivalents will just further magnify EVM dominance uh, because it is just, you know, I see, I see like you have Palm integrated on Dora, but Palm is a different VM, correct? Or it's, it's at least, it's not 1-1 EVM equivalent. Um, so I think um, I like to segment EVMs like whether or not they're using now, at least they're using OpiStack, Arbitrum, Orbit, or they're using Polygon CDK. Um, the Palm right now, up until recently, was based on uh, Hyperledger Basus by Consensus. Uh, now they've actually migrated their chain into Polygon CDK. Specifically, they migrated to, um, oh my God, I'm going to blank on the name, Hermes. Uh, but they're transitioning into Polygon CDK VM later on as well. So they're doing technically two migrations. But it's still part of the, we actually help with the migration a little bit as well. Um, primarily but go, led by But the, going forward, if, if, they were com- if they came out today, it would be uh, harder to convince you to integrate them, I imagine, than some existing EVM. You know, some L2 EVM. Um, um, if they came out today as a Polygon CK EVM or as Hyperledger Besu? Even just as anything that isn't an EVM. Like, I presume that there's oh, going to just yeah. be so much more easy adoption of things that are shipping 1-1 EVM equivalents in terms of getting distribution to the infrastructure providers that it will just encourage more and more people to go that way. I don't think that the long-term EVM equivalence is going to be the dominant thing, but at least in the short term with this proliferation of L2s, Convincing uh, uh, you know some kind of app like Dora to support something like zk Polygon zk, there better be a grant or something behind it, right? Um, so from our standpoint, um, so I think I try to think of infrastructure as being very much uh, the enabler of the reflexive enabler of future technology, right? Which I, I guess is a bit self-describing when it comes to all laying on the, the infrastructure for the future to be built on top of it. But um, yeah, I think. Uh, I'll say I'll put it this way: We're chatting with a few chains that are non-EVM equivalent uh, to actually build a block explorer for them because they also care about. They are now starting to think about the oh, we're not getting too many users. How do we actually go about solving this? How, who do we know that uh, has a strong relationship with the user? Uh, is actually able to tell them to let's say help them even help localize on-chain data. Like we have a Dora in English, Spanish, uh, Korean, and also Mandarin. Um, and some people care about that. Some people care about the how they are actually able to distribute their networks across um, not only infrastructure, but just like to their users, right? Um, so yes, there may be some economic incentives as to integrate uh, some non-EVM chains out there, as well as the EVM ones. But um, definitely, of course, it becomes a no-brainer if it's an EVM chain out there, and that's just sheer, purely because there's so much infrastructure has been built for us there already. And we're incredibly familiar with the infrastructure, right? Um, and when it comes to every single rollup there, we're also familiar with, again, I, we put it on our website as well, like we, we were with Optimism, Arbitrum, and uh, Polygon specifically on their SDKs, right? Like we, if whatever SDK you use, if it's re- if it was written by them, uh, by these three entities, we'll, we'll integrate it in like a few hours. Right. Yeah, so we'll see whether or not um, a couple other SDKs out there. I, I know of a few that are making a big push, especially on the roll-up offering. Um, We'll see when they announce it, maybe in like Q1, um, of whether or not they'll actually be able to um, hold enough of the, how to say, it, of the developer mindshare to actually add support for it and then eventually allow more developers to actually 
develop applications on top of them. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great conversation, very wide ranging and exciting to hear yeah. about all the Dora, especially the differentiation between the consumer focused stuff, as well as the insights that you'll be uh, selling to other kinds of consumers, more B2B kind of consumers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, interesting to see the project evolving over time. And I'm excited to hear about your uh, fundraising announcement whenever that does come out. <laughs> you know, we've, we've gone now two fundraisers that we haven't announced. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, no, we have backlog uh, for for various reasons, uh, amongst one of them, uh, for better or for worse, just perfectionism. Um, I don't want to tell people, hey, we raised for this product, but it's still a bit early days. But I feel like maybe, you know, I think people are very understanding of that in crypto. Like, no one really cares if you have, like, a few bucks, right? Um, but I do think... For sure. And also, it. also fundraising shouldn't really be that relevant to the success of a product. Uh, uh, it seems like for some people, it, the reputational boost of certain kinds of investors can be legitimizing for speculative purposes. But mm-hmm. uh, overall, I mean, who cares who put money into something? It's whether the thing is interesting or not that counts. Exactly. Uh, but if I can speak to usage numbers, one of our biggest spikes on usage was when we announced support for, uh, for a chain. And this chain had a lot of cloud and then we it got to the point that actually um estella uh was like why do we have so many of these uh, aws instances spun up just all of a sudden and uh our api lead rachel was like uh, just auto scaling like we're just getting up a lot more searches right now and then she was like oh okay <laughs> but it was a little bit scary it was like okay nothing broke okay that's awesome but also while this watch this was a lot more um users than we were anticipating right now. Hmm, I, I guess the challenge then is to sort of retain those people. We, we retain quite a few of them, and I think it's a bit interesting that um, a, block, a multi-chain block explorer is also a proxy of every single, like the usage of it is also a proxy of just activity on a chain, right? Mm, like, the of popularity. Course, mm. Yeah, uh, especially when it comes to a few of the chains that we integrate out there that didn't have as much uh, buy-in immediately from other applications we become a very good um, proxy of, okay, what are people actually searching for uh, and what are kind of uh, interactions people may want to engage on or have engaged on, right? But yeah. Awesome. Bunny, thank you so much for coming and chatting today. This was a great conversation and it's uh, yeah. great to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, no, great to know, get to, getting to know you too as well. Hope you, we can chat some other time. Hope you have yeah, a Yeah, definitely. Maybe in yeah. the future when there's uh, new uh, products or something uh, from Dora, be great to get yeah. you back. Yeah, of course. Uh, always happy to chat. Awesome. Have a good one. Awesome. You too. Thank you. And thank you everybody for coming to listen. Uh, See you next week. Same time, same place. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.